This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I love comics. Brightly colored pages, even black and white. Filled with heroes, villains. They're usually a place of security and comfort. A place where you go to get lost in stories of valor, strength, Adventure, comedy, horror, romance. Every single genre of storytelling can be found in comics, period. And in these precarious times, when I know a lot of people are hurting, and I don't mean just being bored, I mean legitimately hurting, stressed out about money, how they'll pay the bills, or the looming fear for their health and the health of their loved ones. Comics can be a place where people go to forget all of that, albeit for a short period of time. But this virus that has caused each of us to reach for our favorite graphic novel has far-reaching repercussions that many people didn't even see coming. One of those implications is the impact it has and will continue to have on the comics industry. Yes, COVID-19 has hit it hard. Two weeks ago, just two weeks ago, I was talking to a friend who works in the industry, they're an artist, and they were saying how the comics business hadn't really been that impacted. It had slowed down, yes, but for the most part, artists were working from their home studios, writers were writing from their home offices, and editors, not in the office, were now editing the books they were submitting. And these digital files were then being shipped off to the printer, And the printer was shipping the finished product off to the distributor. And then the distributor, like always, was dropping the product off to stores who were then finding ways to get those books into the hands of readers. Be it mailing them out, be it having people drop in to do a quick pickup. It was slower, but still moving forward. But then a single press release changed everything. This is Issue Zero, a show about the power of fandom and pop culture. I'm Fred Kennedy, and today we're asking the question, what impact will COVID-19 have on the comic book industry? We're going to be talking to a few people on this one, too. I really wanted to get some different perspectives on what it means for fans as well as the people who created them. We'll be speaking with Christopher Butcher organizer of the Toronto Comic Arts Festival, as well as a guy who managed Beguiling for more than a decade. We'll also be speaking with Heather Antos, senior editor at Valiant Entertainment, and Jay Bardyla, a guy who used to own Happy Harbor Comics out west and is now heavily involved in the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund. I wanted to get as many different perspectives on this as I could. On March 23rd, Diamond Comics Distributors Incorporated put out a press release that pretty much put the entire comics industry on pause, at least the vast majority of it. And I quote, 
Effective April 1st, Diamond will no longer be shipping new product for the foreseeable future. We don't know when things will get back to relative normal or what this will actually mean in the long run. For now, we continue shipping comics that we have in stock and wrapping up any existing subscriptions. Your lists are still available for edit online, and we will have more information for you as this continues to surface. To give you an idea of what they are, Diamond Comics distributors have been around for 38 years and they serve as retailers for North America and the rest of the world. They transport comic books and graphic novels from both big and small comic book publishers to retailers. Diamond distributes to the direct market in the United States and has exclusive distribution arrangements with most major U.S. comic book publishers, including Dark Horse Comics, DC Comics, IDW Publishing, Image Comics, Marvel Comics, and more. Their revenue is about $500 million annually, so that announcement is huge! That situation was made even more dire a few days later when Sam Heidman, the president of Diamond's parent company, Gepi Family Industries, released this statement explaining that Diamond was, and again, I quote, no longer receiving consistent payment from their customers and therefore would hold payments to vendors previously scheduled to release this week. Now, I really should hit the brakes here because if you're just a casual reader of comics, What does that even mean? How can one company have such a profound effect on the entire comics business? Let's just say this. Diamond controls the direct market. They have a virtual and effective monopoly over the books that wind up on shelves of comic book shops. For most of them, more than three quarters to 90% of their stock. They even have exclusive deals that prevent certain imprints from shipping books or products with anyone but them. That means if you are a small imprint or a comic book startup and you want to get your product on store shelves everywhere, then unless you're willing to put in a lot of work, you're going to have to go through Diamond. Think of them as the ticket master of the comic book world. And just like Ticketmaster, some people have tried to shake off their yoke of quote-unquote oppression. And just like Ticketmaster, it has been met with limited success, if not downright failure. But how did we get here? How did this happen? Well, it used to be that comic books were sold on spinner racks at drugstores and convenience stores and newsstands. In fact, I always remember buying comics at my local 7-Eleven growing up because it was The comic book store was like three buses away. The 7-Eleven was just down the street, man. But that was already in decline by the time I started reading comics in the early 90s. In fact, the direct market has its actual roots in the late 60s and 1970s, when more and more people started buying comics at dedicated comic and hobby shops, or in the case of a lot of underground comics, head shops. Seriously. It was in 1972 that Phil Salung established Seagate Distributors. This was the beginning of the direct market. Unlike other distribution companies at the time, Phil approached the imprints directly and became like a hub of distribution. Seagate became the source for comic shops. And the guy had been heavily involved with the comic scene for years. It was a perfect fit. He'd started conventions. He was working directly with creators back to the early 60s. And it was that experience, his intimate knowledge of comic books that helped him succeed. For a time, at least. Seagate went bankrupt in 1985, but 
it was clear that direct marketing was the new go-to business model. In 1982, Diamond Comics Distribution was founded in Baltimore by Steve Geppi. And over the following decades, through very smart business maneuvers, they became what they are today. The dominant force in the direct marketing of comics in North America. And I realize I did skip almost everything that happened between now and 1982. If you want to find that information, it's out there. It's available to the public. But I really wanted to focus on what's happening with comics now and what's going to continue to happen to comics in the future with these recent bombshell-esque announcements. Now, I reached out to Jay Bardyla. He's the former owner of Happy Harbor Comics out in Edmonton, and he's now heavily involved with the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund. And he was the first guy I thought of when I wanted to find out what this announcement actually means for comic book fans and creators alike. Uh, for fans and creators, it means well, a little bit different. Uh, for creators, there's going to be a shift. Uh, I know because there was a lot of people that were very much like, oh, nobody's working now, which isn't true because both Marvel and DC had a digital platform and uh, both had announced that they would continue to produce some digital content. Um, there was a bit of concern within the retail community that putting out new digital without print would end up converting people to digital so that when the industry restarted, fewer people would be coming to print. I don't think that's a f really a founded or realistic uh, expectation because we've already seen that digital has been flatlined for about four or five years now uh, with its audience. It, it has the audience that it has, and I don't think... Uh, this epidemic, this pandemic is going to shift the audience away again afterwards. So creators will still be creating. And you got to remember too, that it's really the big two were the ones that were hiring a fair number of people. And then when you get to the smaller imprints, they're doing a lot of creator own stuff, which means those artists and writers and anchors and colors and pens, and they can all still make product and have it ready for when everything starts up again. Um, so I think that's okay. Uh, what it means for fans uh, means a break, I guess. Uh, and hopefully we're able to attract back, like retain, uh, like hang on to people as much as we can. And then as soon as the industry is ready to fire up, bring them back into the fold. Um, and I think there's a lot of really good opportunities there for creators, publishers, and retailers to do some very exciting and interesting things to get people excited about comics again. And, and sometimes, too, like a little break doesn't necessarily hurt everyone. There's people who, who take it at times, and then they're, then when, they're, when they're off for a little bit, they remember you know, what it was like to have that regular Wednesday pickup or to have those conversations with retailers or fellow fans. They begin to miss it and long for it. And then when everything fires back up again, they'll have kind of a newfound energy for it. And I think, um, I think it'll do really good things for the fan base, um, especially if creatively there's some exciting projects for people to come back to. So comic book creators love to gripe. They love to gripe. And I see a lot of griping about Diamond uh, from time to time. And from the retailer perspective, how positive of a relationship did you have with Diamond? Well, I had a, uh, my, my company, Happy Harbor, had a very good relationship with Diamond um, through good times and bad. Um, for actually for several years, 
we were um, one of Diamond's top 30 ordering accounts. Um, so we ordered a tremendous amount of comics and we would actually get calls from Diamond that would, you know, just to talk with us to see, you know, what were you, how we were doing things and, and what was going on uh, when times were tough, when, you know, Alberta fell into recessions, uh, we'd be able to talk to a devoted credit analyst um, who we could negotiate things with and come up with plans to make sure that our business stayed, you know, peak operational as possible and would weather the storm. And then we'd get right back into things again. There was an efficiency to their business that I really appreciated. Were mistakes made? Sure. But I mean, when you look at the overall operations of what Diamond does, there are very few organizations anywhere in the world that tries to achieve what Diamond achieves day to day and week to week. Like when you actually sit down and figure out and look at the numbers of what they do, it's it's amazing. Um, as, as one retailer had pointed out one time, you know, if you're sitting in your shop in the middle of the day and you decide that you need to order one copy of one comic book, you can do it in two clicks. And depending on where you are within two weeks, that one copy of that one book will show up in your shipment on your doorstep where you can sell it and make a profit off of it. That's a good deal. That's a good deal, man. (laughs) Like that's a really good, strong, efficient system. Now, that all said, you know, would you like there to be competition in the marketplace? Absolutely. You know, and slowly there is in certain ways. Digital is one. Um, the book market has now is now representing about 50 percent of overall comic sales in North America. You know, that's good. But as far as like the weekly comic book and that publication, it's not a large enough business that a second distributor could come in and offer the same competitive advantages that diamond offers. Uh, it's just, the industry's just not big enough. Right. So when people complain about the monopoly or want for more, the reality is we don't do enough <laughs> to warrant more. Uh, and what we've got is pretty good. So, you know, and, and, and well, there's the old adage too. If you talk to a, a car salesman, as a comic book guy and you say, yeah, like I make 120 to 140% markup on each item I sell, the car salesman is going to lose his, lose his head. Right. It's like, Oh my God, like, I wish I could do that. But the perspective is, is that the comic book guy is selling a $5 item and the car guy is selling a $40,000 item. So of course your markup is going to be wildly varying, but within the comics industry, that markup, that huge margin that we get, is unbelievable, right? Like you're making a massive amount of markup on a small ticket item. So now it's up to the retailer to maximize those items and sell as many as they can and utilize that margin. Uh, and I think one of the, the issues within the industry has just been the fact that people don't take advantage of that as well as they should. So how much of your <laughs> stock came from Diamond? Mm. The amount of stuff that we had coming from Diamond for a, a very long time, as far as all of our book stock was concerned, pretty much 100%. All of our comics were coming from Diamond. Uh, and then even a lot of our, most of our merchandise was coming from Diamond. Uh, over time, uh, we picked up other distributors. But I'd say starting around 20, 2014, yeah, 2014, when the book market opened up a bit more and book distributors were carrying comics, 
we had to go to more book distributors because Diamond wouldn't keep everything in stock and book distributors would keep because they were so fragmented. In Canada, we had four main book distributors. So, of course, that product was spread out between the four of them. If Diamond didn't have something, you'd have to go to one of those book distributors. Um, so probably, you know, by 2019, when we were, when we were uh, kind of wrapping up, you know, Diamond was still, because we sold a lot of single-issue comic books, Diamond was still probably responsible for, I'd say, at least 80% of our product purchasing, as far as comics goes. Uh, and then the other book distributors would represent the other 20% of comics. So we're, it doesn't look like Diamond is going to go under because of this. But if it did, what would you see happening? And this is just like fantasy baseball here. <laughs> um, it'd be interesting to see what happened. I think inevitably somebody would fill that void. Somebody would find a way to set up a process to get those single-issue comic books out to comic book stores nature abhors a vacuum, right? So if Diamond goes, is there somebody I think that would do it? I think I could see Simon and Schuster possibly throwing their hat into the ring because they're a pretty big dog. I won't say anything overly positive about their customer service because I can't, but I think they would probably be the first ones to kind of step up and try to fill that void. And they're so closely knit with D.C., you know, it, it would probably probably be almost like a default scenario. But on the other hand, they'd also have to look at these are like 3 and $4 products. Uh, we can't make great margins on them. We need more warehouse space. It takes more people to do it. We can't profit off of it. Um, so they might not hang on to it very long. But they would probably be my first pick to try to fill the void. And then after that, I don't know. It would be pretty tough. I'd, I'd say maybe Random House might step in and try to do something, uh, or honestly, it'd probably just be a brand new player to the game. Somebody who's had their eye on the industry and just decides to step up and just create the infrastructure needed to, uh, to distribute those books, at least across North America. Now, I realize we've thrown the term imprints around for a while, and I think maybe I should clarify exactly what that means, because not everybody knows. An imprint is just another way of saying like a label. Like, you know, in the music industry, they've got record labels. In comics, it's all about the imprint. Marvel is an imprint. DC is an imprint. Image is an imprint. So I wanted to talk to somebody from an imprint specifically who would have a better understanding of that perspective, how this move from Diamond will affect the comic book industry as a whole. So I reached out to friend of the show, Heather Antos, and she was actually on our very first episode where we dissected the cult of the Mandalorian. And she's also a senior editor over at Valiant Entertainment. And I figured she'd be the best person to explain what exactly the relationship is between Diamond and a comic book imprint like Valiant Entertainment. Well, for uh, just in a nutshell, uh, Diamond is the exclusive distributor of the direct market to uh, the major publishers to retailers. So basically, when Valiant Productions sends a book to print, um, the files go off to the printer, the printer prints 
literally thousands of copies of said book and that gets sent to diamond warehouses where they handle all the distribution um, with all the various retailers. They send those out to all the different retailers. Uh, all the retailers send their orders to diamond directly. So they're kind of like the middleman. Now, when you read that announcement a few weeks ago about nothing going out past April 1st, what was your first reaction? What'd you do? I mean, honestly, it, it was inevitable. Um, you know, we, uh, our sales team has been in communication with Diamond literally daily. Every single morning they have um, a call to give updates uh, with our reps. And, you know, in this climate where states, I mean, I think it's 38 states now have shelter at homes or various lockdowns of, of various stages in order um, in the United States comics are a hobby, you know, they're, they're a non-essential and New York, Pennsylvania, Maryland were some of the first states to order those shelter at homes and non-essentials closed. And that's where diamonds warehouses are. So if the warehouses are closed, books can't be going in and out of them. So we, we had been prepping for it, just kind of coming up with our own internal contingency plans. So we weren't surprised. I think it was just a matter of when. So, now, this is like doom and gloom, but I tend to think in doom and gloom. Hope for the best, prepare for the worst. <laughs> so uh, if Diamond were to fold, what would that mean for Valiant specifically? I mean, you know, it's it's not a question of Valiant specifically. Um, it's a question of the industry. Uh, but that is a super, super doom and gloom statement. Um, and honestly, chance that is not going to happen. They're not going to fold. Honestly, it's looking quite the opposite, but just for, for posterity, diamond is the exclusive distributor for Marvel and DC diamond distributes for every publisher. I think besides image, I think image is the only one that does their own distribution, but um, not only that diamond handles toys and games. I think diamond has, at least a couple hundred, if not more, suppliers. So it it doesn't just affect Valiant. It affects the entire toys, gaming, comic industry. But everyone has said comics are going to die every year. You know, <laughs> this is this is this is nothing new. You know, and we ain't going anywhere. Uh, Diamond's not going anywhere. Comics, Valiant, none of us are going anywhere except home right now where we all are and should stay (laughs) from an imprint perspective. Mm -hmm. What would the difficulties be in shipping directly to customers yourselves? It's, it's not impossible. Um, The manpower and expense that it takes to do is just, it's, it's, it's impossible. You know, um, literally every single issue, thousands of copies are printed with various covers. You know, it's, it's a spatial thing. You know, you need the warehouses. I think Diamond has something like four or five different warehouses scattered across the United States alone, let alone, you know, in the UK and Europe, Australia, all, you know, all the continents on top of managing I think they have over 3,000 accounts. So that's 3,000 different places that they ship to. Um, Hundreds of comics, various orders, the expense, the manpower, the logistics of all of that. You know, we're not a logistics company. That's not what we do. We produce content and that's, that's our job. And so that's what we do. 
Diamond is good at what they do. You know, there's a reason for it. <laughs> now, do you see digital comics taking a big bite right now? And if so, what does that mean? So it's really interesting. I actually, I don't know if you saw, I actually just put a poll out on Twitter the other day asking fans what they are doing in, in this period of uncertainty of, you know, shelter in place. And are they, are they switching to digital? Um, are they doing a bit of both? Like I know some stores are still offering delivery or they're offering curbside pickup. Or are you just waiting until this whole thing blows over? And the majority of people said they, you know, they are loyal to the retailer and they're still going to do delivery or curbside pickup or they're just going to wait. And I think if there's one thing to be said about comic fans is they're super loyal. They're loyal to their characters. They're loyal to the creators and they're loyal to their shops. So yes, you know, digital publishers and, and retailers too, creators as well. Like we're all having to be a little bit more creative in the content that we're creating right now and putting out there um, to turn to a more digital format. Like Valiant, we're offering free PDFs of a bunch of our series right now, but we're not putting out anything new digitally because first and foremost, you know, we want to support our retailers and we don't want to offer anything for sale that would undercut the retailers right now. And that's super, super important for us to do. So we're being very creative in our offerings, but all of our brand new stories and issues, those are going to come out um, this summer when things are back up and running. Well, that was a pretty positive conversation, which is relieving. Because as a fan of comics, who's got a lot of friends that work in the industry, I want it to do well. I also want to keep reading my comics every Wednesday because that's part of my life. Uh, but there is one facet of the comic book community that I'm completely missing out here. And that's the convention aspect. So I wanted to talk to somebody who understands both the retail world of comics and the ins and outs of running a convention. And that's why I wanted to talk to Christopher Butcher. He's got a unique set of experiences. He ran The Beguiling for more than a decade and... He organized and founded the Toronto Comic Book Arts Festival. Plus, he's a fantastic human being. And I wanted to get his opinion on what this announcement or series of announcements from Diamond will do for the average comic book retail outlet or store for the layman. That's a, that's a tough one. Uh, to be completely honest, most of the decision-making from comic book stores is being gradually taken out of their hands. Uh, it started with uh, you know, first social distancing and then quarantines and then, you know, lockdowns, which is what we might be headed to. And that's really been affecting stores. Like they've just been trying to stay as open and preserve their employees' health and well-being as, as much as possible, given the, the situation. Now, no new comics from their major distributor, from most stores' major distributors. That's a, that's a big deal. And it's something that... Uh, Everything every store is going to handle in a very different way, mostly because it's not a decision that they're making for themselves. It's a decision that's just like happening from on high, like a lot of these decisions are these days, you know? So I would say right now, a lot of stores are worried, but uh, yeah, the, the number one economic factor you have to look at is if there's no product coming in, you're not getting charged for product. And I would say most 
comic book retailers, their bill to that that they owe you know the money they owe to Diamond Comics for their weekly shipments is probably their biggest uh, single cost uh, is, is getting new product in. So that's like it's also how they generate a lot of their revenue. So. It's a uh, it's a complicated situation, but uh, yeah, there's no money coming in, or there's very little money coming in. There's no money going out on that at front, at least. And if you can get a mortgage or a rent abatement or the utilities or whatnot, depending on where you live, it's good. I would say places that don't have a quarantine right now are probably the hardest hit because their stores are up and running. There's lots of states in the United States where things aren't locked down yet, and. Uh, They've got no product coming in, but the store's open, and they they're still you know employing their employees and whatnot. So, yeah, it's it's a really complicated situation, just like it is for a lot of small businesses right now. The whole supply chain is is upended. How much of a comic book store stock actually comes direct from Diamond? On average, would you say, given your experience with things? Oh, that's that's another one that's. So different from store to store. Um, I would say the average store, most most of their stock is coming through Diamond. To be completely honest, uh, it's it's just what it is. Uh, the beguiling where I was the manager for a decade, and then our own store at Page and Panel, that's a little bit less. To be completely honest, we have a pretty diverse product selection and a number of distributors. We deal with a lot of uh, book market distributors, many of whom are still operating. So. We're still getting periodic new comics, um, new graphic novels, I guess you would say, through, uh, you know, like like Random House is still shipping as of today, I believe, uh, and Macmillan and Simon and & Schuster. So some of our, our, you know, manga from Viz and things like that. But I would say on average, the, the average comic book store is probably getting 75% of their new merchandise, like across all product lines, through Diamond Comics or one of their subsidiaries. You know, there's a lot of tendrils that go out via Diamond, and there's going to be a lot of repercussions that maybe people don't anticipate. And I'm wondering, being that you're so familiar with, like, the Comic-Con scene, like, TCAF is is one of, like, the crown jewels in the comic book world. And I'm wondering, what do you see the impact of this announcement from Diamond having on the people that would be setting up tables at a show like TCAF? It's really about diverse revenue sources. Man, I'm, I feel so bad just going so business on all of these answers when it should be like, yeah, comics, because I actually get really excited about comics. So do I, man. But like, I think a lot of us sometimes we need to pull our heads out of the clouds and you're the brains. That's why you're here, man. All right. All right. So honestly, every uh, every indie publisher that I know, and I deal with maybe 20 to 30 directly, every indie publisher that I know hasn't really been able to rely on Diamond for a really long time. Their numbers that they're doing, like, you know, indie publishers' greatest strength is that they have that passion and they can, you know, contact people directly. They can work people directly. Kickstarter has been such a huge game changer for so many publishers where they can have a co- an idea for a comic and go direct. Or you can be like um, Iron Circus, which is a, a great publisher out of Chicago, and not just go to direct with projects, but with your whole publishing company. Like almost everything you publish gets kickstarted first and it's successful and you build your audience that way. Diamond is a part of their cash flow for sure, but for the longest time hasn't been even close to the biggest part. I would say festivals like mine and comic conventions have been making a bigger and bigger part of that money. So I would say like indie comics publishing 
and indie is a pretty broad term here, doesn't need diamond quite as much as it needs people to be able to be more than five people in the same place right now because the sales you do with one of those can be really significant. And it needs stores to stay open, though. That's that's maybe the biggest part. You want stores to be able to sell your books, and you want those stores to also be serviced by Diamond. You kind of want things to be like what they were and better, not like what they were, but you're missing a, a huge stream there. So I would say the consequences are pretty going to be pretty far-reaching because at the end of the day, you know, a store like ours, a store like The Beguiling, where we do work with a m- number of distributors, we still don't want to see Diamond go. No one wants to wake up in the morning and lose, you know, 30% of their business through distribution issues. No one, literally no one. <laughs> uh, but uh, I think the the hardest part about this whole thing has been going, you know, this is just out of our hands. All we can do is point people to the good stuff and try and stay scrappy and stay in the game and, you know, use our voices where it's necessary. So, yeah, I want Diamond to stick around. I think everyone who runs a comic book store, no matter how snooty or arty they're perceived as being, wants Diamond to keep going in some capacity. But if it comes down to it, I think comics are going to survive this. And it's it's just the models that we've been using to get comics from the people who make them to the readers who love them is maybe going to change. So, what is going to happen to comics? Well... We don't know. This is an unprecedented, ever-evolving situation. We spoke to three different people and got three different perspectives and theories. But the one thing all three of them mentioned was how much love for comics there is out there right now. Fans don't just love the comics and the characters. They love the community aspect of the comic book world. And I really feel that in a few weeks or maybe a few months... When things begin to slowly return to normal, we will see a massive outpouring of love and support from the fans. Because if there's anything we're being reminded of in this podcast, it's that fandom is a very powerful thing. Now, go read some comics and tweet your favorite creators to tell them you love them. They need it. In fact, that's actually a great segue into this week's Issue Zero Recommends. I recommend you support your favorite creators by sending them love on social media. A lot of them have seen their workload shrink in recent days and are even holding art sales. And some are doing commissions at discounted rates. If you want an inside tip, most creators will cut you a special deal if you get them to draw a character they love. Not all, but I've seen it happen. Trust me. I spend a lot of time in Artist Alley. I'd like to take a minute to once again thank our guests, Jay Bardyla, Heather Antos, and Christopher Butcher. And if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to Issue Zero so you never miss an episode. While you're there, don't forget to rate and review us. It helps us spread the word and get more people to find the podcast. We're available for free at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere you get your favorite streaming audio. You can also listen at CuriousCast.ca. Be sure to check out the show notes for more information about what you heard today and links to all our guests. And if you want to reach out to me, you can find me on Twitter at Fearless underscore Fred, on Facebook and Instagram, and you can email me at IssueZero at CuriousCast.ca. This show is hosted and written by me, Fred Kennedy, and Dila Velasquez, our producer. And sound design and final production is by Rob Johnson. See you next time for more Issue Zero.